Just kidding, you already heard that part. This is Matt Martin. This is Behind the Blade Podcast. I'm sitting here with Jim Stewart, episode 3-2. I feel like we finally accomplished something breaking into the 30s. Good God, it's been long enough. Today, we are going to cover... What are we covering today, Jim? We're going to cover the history of the Puko knife. Took words right out of my mouth. And you are going to find out just how deeply ingrained that is in contemporary knives because we touch on it several times. And even a couple little surprises and knife news that tie it all together. After that, we are going straight to the Q&As because this week we uploaded tech tips in the form of video, both on YouTube and on our Facebook page. So if you want to see this week's tech tips, go to YouTube, type in Behind the Blade Podcast, guard soldering tutorial, and you will see Jim's amazing camera work and my beautiful face. Stay tuned. And we are back. Welcome to episode 32 of Behind the Blade Podcast. What? I was just making funny faces. Okay. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Carry on. I've got this really high energy thing going on, and then Matt's just like, oh my goodness. So we are here. We're going to talk about some knife news, but first, before covering the the venerable knife news, we are going to cover Matt. What Sir. You, what you carrying, man? Well, I am carrying the amazing Paramilitary 2 and S30V. No, uh, I, I am carrying <laughs> my usual loadout. I don't need to go into it, but what I have with me today is super exciting. I have two knives that I love dearly. One of them is my treasured... Like 1920s, 1930s, five-inch marbles ideal. I didn't even see that on your hip. I wasn't paying attention. That's awesome. Jenna made me a new sheath. Did she she make you a new one for that? It is so slim. The profile, this isn't like a commercial, guys. I'm just, we're just talking (laughs) knives as a knife lover. It's so slim and it sits Uh on my belt that you can't, see it i didn't at all and that's why i like it so much i mean this is a five inch knife yeah you know when we put out a five inch knife it's considered a medium size fixed blade pretty much yeah this thing is very diminutive for five inches and (laughs) it i mean it handles like a big knife or it works like a big knife but it handles like a pocket knife and it carries like nothing else so that's awesome uh, and you can see that these are to be had on ebay and stuff for relatively inexpensive the only place they're Mm -hmm. not inexpensive believe it or not is in gladstone where they were made everybody's very (laughs) proud of them here (laughs) they're they're like you can part with it for a price absolutely (laughs) but if you were to hop on ebay that knife probably set you about 50 to 80 bucks yeah i think i think i paid 70 for mine there you go i've got i've got one i think sitting in dad's like template drawer that's in that range yeah (laughs) it's Every every collection needs to have one because obviously, as you guys know, I think episode one, we did Marbles History. Right. That is the genesis of our entire trade as the fixed blade sporting knife field knife trade. So yeah, pretty cool. I love this knife. I do EDC it. I, I use it. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how well it holds up, like it's, even under yeah. today's standards. Uh, the other Tiny. knives that I have with me, this one's exciting Ooh. to me. This is a knife. I've known Jim about three years now, I would that say. sounds about right. Maybe yeah. a little more, plus yeah. or minus. 2014, 2015, I think. When yeah. I first came up uh, mm-hmm. and met him and came and checked out the Bark River shop, I had the luxury and gift of being able to make any knife I wanted while I was there. Kind of like grind in, but it was just a few of us. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to make a wilderness explore. Well, I didn't have any blanks. Yeah, we and were then out. <laughs> I've been to probably... Three dozen or two dozen, yeah. however many yeah. grind in you, since you've then. You've been to nearly every one since then. Right. Yeah. And I still can't seem to get my hands on a right. Wilderness Explorer blank. And Jim was kind enough to to hand me one that was kind of a cosmetic blem. 
and because it was for my personal case, you can actually see where the blood is in the back here, but it doesn't oh, bother yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't sell it, but what was the issue that was on the knife didn't bother me at all as a personal carry knife. So he gave me this, and I uh, set it up with a brass guard, soldered, of course, black linen nice. micarta over red uh, fiber spacers. And it's a full satin finish, flat ground, but in the Bark River... Uh, what would you call it? tradition? Tr- tr- I, tradition or a, or just Bark River style. There we go. Yeah, yeah Bark River the, style. style. Yeah. yeah, I convex the edge. So just yeah. the edge. It's not like a true full convex like their stuff is. Um, but I know my limitations. And so I convex <laughs> the edge. And as a field knife goes, this knife, and this is not a Bark River commercial. I know we're promoting a lot of our own stuff today. <laughs> I love this knife. Like, I love it. I want a uh-huh. sheath with a buck 110 pouch yes, in front of there it. there you go. And it would just match so perfectly. So <laughs> I'm, I'm smitten with this blade. Um, I think it's five thirty seconds thick crewware. Yep, it's crewware. So CPM crewware. And mm-hmm. I haven't used crewware yet. I obviously mm-hmm. I've used a lot of three V, but I haven't gotten down on the crewware. And it's supposed to be slight. What what attributes are <clears throat> superior so, to three V and crewware? So from what I, from from my understanding, it's edge holding is actually better than three Vs. Oh, gotcha. Right, it's edge holding is better than three Vs, but it's not as tough. But it's close. But right? it's, it's close. In the ballpark. So so it's almost a toss up between three V and crewware. So it's like, which do you prefer? Edge holding or toughness. Edge holding or toughness. But the difference is so negligible, in my opinion. I mean, like, I could be totally wrong. We've, we probably have chemists out there right, right now listening to the show going, you're wrong, Jim Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and I probably am. You're right. But in my opinion, in my humble opinion, um, it's a toss-up between those two steels. Yeah, let me see that. Yeah, Matt Matt definitely's got some got some got some special specialty flair. Did you make the guard from scratch? No, that you said oh, it was no, a I Bark River supplied brass guard. Yeah, yeah, I handed it to you. That's right, that's right. But what is really cool about this, and I wish I could show you guys, but is that is that when Matt put this together, there is solder in every available space of this guard. Right. <laughs> full penetration solder. Full John, penetration I'm very about that. all the way around the top. It's on the back, it's on the front, just underneath in the finger groove. Yeah. You can see it. I mean, Matt Matt really knows what he's doing when it comes to the solder. And he's got a nice thicker, thick handle on there too, with a really, really nice palm swell. I mean, like this is like a this is a true to form bark river palm swell. Thank I mean, you. Like, like, I appreciate like, that. Like it is right there. I mean, everything is cool. The loveless bolts look really good on this thing. Yeah, this looks hot. Where was I going with this? I, had, like, I don't know. Uh, well, yeah. so let's get back to crew wear. Yeah, real crew wear. Because crew-ware, I think right. this is worth uh, talking about. <laughs> um, obviously, I've made knives probably predominantly up until a few years ago out of ATS-34. And that included some EOD models that we did that were used for digging in the ground during range clearances and stuff like that, even Mm -hmm. as a light breaching tool and stuff. So that's ATS-34, which is not Mm -hmm. uh, on record being incredibly tough, right? Right, Not like compared to 3V. Right, well, they're a different class. Right, completely. Now, we made, for all intents and purposes, we made pry bars out of ATS-34 Sure. And it didn't have any problems. Yeah, none. In fact, we had one issue, and that was we took it to a metallurgist, and it was found to be carbon banding. We replaced the knife. He's been fielding it for years. Mm-hmm. No issues whatsoever. It so, was just that that happened that bar of steel that, that you happened to buy. piece of steel, right? right. And it didn't matter. But mm-hmm. out of the hundreds that we put out, we had no issues. So when people say 3V is the toughest, it's so far beyond what even human force can exert that (laughs) if this were marginally, if crew wear were marginally less tough than three V it's still tougher than you would ever need. Absolutely. And you get the benefit of the edge retention. So I, I, you know, I use a lot of three V so I'm definitely not poo pooing that steel specifically, but I just think it's neat. And to be out of five thirty seconds with a toughness comparable to three V it becomes a very light, very agile, very sharp cutting knife that is easy to carry. And when you're at a field knife stage, 
easy to carry is good. Pack yeah, weight absolutely. counts yeah. when you want food and water. You know what I mean? Like, it <laughs> yeah, <counts>. it does. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's what I'm carrying today. Just two classics. Obviously, this is a Bob Loveless design, which having a Bob Loveless design with the soldered guard, which is an embellishment I mm-hmm. added, but having... I don't know. It's just, it's a lot of things to me and it is a jewel in my collection and a stone cold user in my hand. For Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> what do you carry, Jim? Right. <clears throat> so Victoria Knox twist tool. <laughs> but of course. No one likes it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's starting to become like a little bit of a, of a private joke. Oh yeah. You know, for here, but I am carrying, Ooh. I'm carrying, I think it's the highest number that Matt said. It is. N- number 478. Tiger Lips Grunt from Vehement Knives. I freaking love this thing. Oh, that makes I me so love happy to hear thing. that. Matt, Matt, and like, like, Matt put like, I don't want to, I don't want to like demean, uh, you know, diminish other grunts by saying Matt put some extra special attention into this. But <laughs> Matt put a little bit of extra <laughs> special attention into this because he knows that I'm a complete, uh, I'm a little bit of an edge snob. Oh yeah, for sure. That was a and that that is as freely admitted that I am like that, and and it's not it's not a positive thing either. (laughs) (laughs) But this thing is rocking sharp. It does something what we call tree topping. So if you just run it through free hanging hair, not against the skin, it's catching and cutting the hair. You know, I'm not I'm not expecting like a perfect shave, but like it is catching the follicles mid stride, totally unsupported, and clipping them free, and the edge is lasting. So I didn't ask for specifics about this, but what I can tell what I can tell you is that this edge lasts. I was using it to shave my Carta shavings off of off of uh, the Marauder handles that we were doing. Today. Nice. And uh, speaking of Marauders, I'm Maraudered out right now. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, uh, Marauders. I'm see them in your dreams. <laughs> Seriously. But uh, but I was using this to clean them all all up. It's very beautiful. It's black canvas with red liners. It's got a satin tiger lips finish on it. It's mirror mirror finish, slightly rounded choil. I mean, like the the jimping is slightly broken on there. It, it totally blends in with the false grind, and I am super proud of this knife. I mean, the grunt. If you guys already if you guys don't already have one, start searching eBay. Good luck. Like right now, because because it's like one of the it's it's a simple knife. Its execution is flawless. And it is an everyday carry knife. Oh, this thanks, thing, man. this man, I, and I'm not just—it's it's awesome. I'm super <laughs> stoked to get this. I, I, I mean, like just bringing it back. I mean, like you, like he handed this to me, and I'm like, oh my goodness! Thank you. I think I just saw a unicorn too. <laughs> and, and and I'm very happy with this. So this is this is going to be my 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 everyday carry thanks, for man. a very that long makes time. Makes you really happy. Yeah, this is cool. I'm super super proud to have it. Thanks. So so that's what I got. And uh, my ba- my uh, BMF wallet. Yeah. That too. That's pretty much what I'm carrying. <laughs> that's so- <God. laughs> That's great. <laughs> so that's what I got. So uh, Matt, good sir, are you ready to jump into the news? Let's do some news. All right, let's do some news. Uh, first up on the news docket this week from KnifeNews.com, Knife News from Knife People, www.KnifeNews.com, if you couldn't put that together. <laughs> it is uh, from July 26th, 2018, which was today. Spiderco files counterfeit suit against iOffer Inc. So, so some specifics is, about this. Is iOffer kind of like an Alibaba website? Is that what they are? Like Wish or something like I'm that? I'm actually not sure. I'd actually never heard of it before this, but we're interested in stuff like counterfeit suits and, uh, and some of the legality and some of the legal actions that take place in the knife industry, um, as we've reported on in the past. So this immediately just jumped out to us and said, we got to talk about this. 
So and, and Spiderco, Spiderco's got the the you know Spiderco's got the means to really kind of back up its own product, and it's pretty slick. They've got some leverage, yeah. Yeah, they've got some leverage, and I definitely do not blame them at all for something like this. Because if someone was knocking off some of my knives, I'd, I'd be a little upset, and I don't blame them at all. Spiderco has filed a counterfeit suit against I Offer Inc., owner of online storefront iOffer.com. The suit alleges six different charges, including trademark counterfeiting and patent infringement. The lawsuit describes two purchases made by Spiderco from iOffer.com. One, listed on the site as, quote, all caps, Spiderco C41 C41 CTS tactical hunting folding knives sold for $30 and visually resembled, resembled a Spiderco domino model. Another listed as a Spiderco knives tactical folding multi, multi Navajas camping knife resembled a Spiderco matriarch model. Both iOffer.com knives included the Spiderco mark bug mark, round hole mark, and product packaging mark that appear on authentic Spiderco products. And the, and the Domino-style knife also had the E. Eric signature tag mark that appears on Eric Glesser-designed knives. So I just went to iOffer.com. Right, and? <clears throat> Absolute garbage. Gucci watches for $5. Oh, of course it's, it's just real. like It's just like okay. Wish. And I, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb here. This, this is bad business these are ripoff artists yep. that go through and plagiarize trademarks yeah. and sell to the unwitting i actually ordered off of a similar website uh unknowingly this was my first experience i ordered a swiss tech multi-tool it looks like a key okay have you seen them yeah and yeah, yeah open up, the, it's the, a knife it's, and a screwdriver a scissor like a scissor thing that it collapses to yep. look like a key exactly yeah. and i've had them in the past like real ones and i thought they were great they're just kind of cool because they're a little stealthy and they're just kind of james bondy in a mm-hmm. way so I thought it was awesome. It was on Wish, branded Swiss Tech. Right. Everything looked legit. I mean, mm-hmm. it was a stock photo. Oh, I ordered nice. it for two bucks. Stupid me. I thought right. it would be like an overstock clearance house type thing. Well, sure. It takes seven weeks to get to me from China. Right. It finally shows up. Uh-huh. This thing looks like it was made with a hand file. Oh, no. And lacks all markings when it gets to your door. Oh, no. So it is, it's a bait and switch kind of yeah. market, an authentic item, deliver mm-hmm. a counterfeit. I mean, it's... It's bad. And so good. I, hopefully Spyderco hammers these guys. And honestly, this, I think it needs to stop because, and I'm not talking about people who make knives that look similar to other knives. We're talking about using product branding, mm-hmm. using their trademarks, yeah. using their logos and their patented features. Oh yeah. And selling it's- them to the unwitting and taking money from that company. Like that's. Yeah. That's bad news, man. All, all it does is it's negative for the entire industry. It, the, whole, the entire thing is just absolutely underhanded. I agree. I freaking hate stuff like this. So upon inspection of the knives, Spiderco determined that they were not genuine. Good. Well, at least... Imagine they, that. Yeah, right? According to the lawsuit, the knives have been available for purchase since at least June 2017. So an entire year. Wow. A year and a month. iOffer has been making continues to generate a large profit from the illegal and unauthorized sale of counterfeit knives and others like them, it continues. The only reason I offer can generate this profit is because Spiderco spent decades generating a strong product offering, demand for its high-quality goods, and a near-cult following for its knives. Truth. So all they are doing is riding on Spiderco's coattails to sell crap. Well, and if they were selling custom pocket clips that fit Spiderco's, 
that would be riding Spider Coast coattails. Well, but but but, but it'd be legit. something legitimate. Yeah, right. that'd be that'd be legit. I mean, absolutely. This I mean, is, I mean, this is like taking money right out of the till. Yeah, you know right? it's, <laughs> it's like it's with a big smile and glasses and Tom Cruise glasses on your face as you're, as, you're, as you're dancing your way out of it. Yeah, you know. <laughs> In a statement issued to Knife News, Spyderco said product infringements are an issue for Spyderco, as you know. A number of fronts are being actively engaged in the response to these issues. It is thought over 95%, 95% of all Spyderco infringements originate in China. Many are virtual clones of our product and certainly not legitimate. This is considered to be simply another step in our defense efforts to maintain our intellectual property brand and integrity. That's crazy. I mean, I mean there's something to be said about, about you know... Which is the true artist, the original or the guy or, 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 or the counterfeit or the counterfeiter. But this is really doesn't apply here because we're not talking about a Rembrandt. We're talking about knives. Yes. And like if you have all of the facilities to make your own product, make your own freaking product. Develop it. Right. Right. Change something about it to make it unique to you. And then just add, just come on to the knife market with your own thing. How difficult is this? It's poor form and people that support it. Uh, you know, I hope you're not in our listener base, but if you have a buddy who does tell them to stop because the reason they do it is that there's money in it and there wouldn't be money in it if we stopped buying counterfeits. Yeah. So uh, that's the the long and short of it. I I have a counterfeit Mm -hmm. watch. Oh, do you? I have a counterfeit Omega. Oh, and, oh wow. Okay. And it's a really nice one <laughs> yeah. too. And my, uh-huh. my buddy got it for me in New York because I told him, in New York, you can get all this stuff, right? I said, yeah, that was yeah. a kid. I've had yeah. it for 15 years or more. <laughs> and I said, bring me back a Rolex. Like a fake <laughs> Rolex. You know? right, and so right. he did. He brought back fake Rolexes. For me, he brought back an Omega. I never wear it. Right. It keeps perfect time and everything. Yeah. I never wear it and I'm ashamed to have it. And I'm just like, <laughs> this is gross. Like I don't get any pleasure. There's no, I don't feel like, and this applies to knives too, is mm-hmm. I don't feel any sense of, uh, procurement or achievement yeah. or any, you know, I don't feel like I got something genuine. I feel like I have a sticker. Right. You know much. what I mean? And yeah. it takes money and legitimacy away from it. It muddies the market. It mm-hmm. makes high value knives harder to sell. Yep. Robbie Dalton was a victim of this before he became a victim of himself. Right? Uh, they, they, knocked, they knocked him off some, didn't they? He was probably arguably the most knocked oh off automatic of all time. Oh like you could God. buy it at every swap meet and liquor store. Twelve dollars yeah, out, oh, out of any gas station you want. The yeah. Cupid was probably one okay. of the biggest ones, okay. the biggest offenders. Oh but uh, yeah, it's it's just it's really hard on makers. It's hard on dealers. It's hard on everybody, and it's just bad. And you're just mm-hmm. basically paying thieves for an inferior product you're paying yeah. lower prices because yeah. the product sucks yeah that's right. right they've got nothing in it it's a waste of your money <laughs> yeah. yeah all right all right so um this this and all of this news comes kind of on top of i mean and we know that spiderco did this before too because spiderco sued ebay as well we covered this yes. before sued ebay for selling counterfeits and filed two separate suits against kevin inc owner of outdoor retail store Kid- kittery trading post both kevin inc and ebay lawsuits eventually ended with settlements there you go so good for Spiderco for going after him and kind of setting the precedent mm-hmm. and hopefully developing some case law that will help other knife companies with their defense right. in the future. So, right, right. Just something that, you know, the rest of us can immediately just point to and say, right. If you don't stop this, this will happen. Yeah, absolutely. So let's move on. This is something that actually was really cool to me too. Matt pointed it out to me as we were scrolling through, you know, yes. to what we were talking about. Benchmade reveals new Puko outdoors fixed blade. It is a fixed blade. From Benchmade. I'm not going to lie. It looks like they took a Griptilian blade and squeezed it into a handle. 
<laughs> Looking at it on the big yeah. screen. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it kind of does. But at the same time, I mean, they've got this cool snakeskin, like injection molded handle in the back, lanyard holes in the right spot. It's very Puko-ish. I yes. mean, it's, it's pretty cool. And this is, I believe, I think the article says that it's the first time they've used CPM3V. Great. Uh, yeah. yeah pick, picked a new to the lineup steel 3V for the 200 Puko. It's called the 200. Um, and there's a picture of it withstanding 800 pounds of sideload pressure without snapping. I mean, like, like absolutely. Yeah, good on you, Benchmade. This is cool. All right, so Benchmade has just revealed the 200 Puko fixed blade knife at the Summer Outdoor Retailer Show in Denver, Colorado. In current Benchmade fashion, the Puko is a classic design with modern flourishes, including high-performance, super-tough blade steel, and a synthetic handle material. This is our first Puko, and we decided to do a modern twist on it, which has been our MO with other existing classic designs. Since says Benchmade's Derek Lau. Glance at an image of the Puko and all the classic lines and details are in place. The barrel-shaped handle, the simple three and three and three-quarter inch drop point blade, the compact carryable size, but tweaks have been made to venerable Puko pattern from tip to tail, starting with the cutting edge. Benchmade picked a new to the lineup steel 3V for the 200 Puko. 3V is known for ex- extreme toughness and has already displayed that characteristic in Benchmade's internal testing. The blade withstood a side load of 800 pounds per inch without snapping. This material is new to us and is heavy duty, Lau confirms. Well, we already knew that. Right. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, so um, a traditional Puko comes with a Scandi grind, but Benchmade opted for a saber grind that mimics the look of Scandi without necess- necessitating the shift in sharpening practices that a true one brings. So that was that was good. It fits with their production style. Yes. A saber ground blade with a beveled edge. Yep. Totally get it. It's absolutely usable. Well, you can still do all the same stuff. Because it's still you have that secondary bevel. Manufacture is easier, yep. and uh, people who are used to carrying uh, secondary bevel knives, meaning that it has an edge bevel mm-hmm. underneath the master bevel, as opposed to like a zero grind, like right. a scandy or something like that, mm-hmm. they're already used to sharpening that style of knife. And I, I think it's yeah. a win. Yeah. yeah, it totally fits with it. Totally fits with the entire market. And pukos are cool. Pukos are just cool. They are, yeah. and uh, that's a little bit of foreshadowing. It was very timely that they, this came out in today's knife news. Oh, because it's weird. We're going to touch on that in the history. It's segment. weird. It's almost like. It, Actually, actually, it yeah, was yeah. uninfluenced. Yeah, we didn't yeah, know that totally. until, yeah, we yeah, had the history it, already it, in our hands. It legitimately is just an entire coincidence. Mm-hmm. Sometimes things are contrived. I mean, never. They're never contrived. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so the ejection molded handle has a reptilian cross-cut pattern, and it creates uh, fr- traction no matter which way the knife is held. And Mitch Mays also found space at the button of the knife to pop in a lanyard hole. It does look pretty sweet. You guys should absolutely check this out. It's called the Benchmade 200 Puko. I dig it. I, I yeah. would have liked to see an inch on the blade. Three, four and three quarter instead of three and three quarter. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Yeah. I, honestly, like I, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I would, I would like to see an inch added to the blade. So right. hopefully, Benchmade will add to their lineup. Not that you need it. No. I just think from a visual standpoint, I would like it. Absolutely. I don't know if it uh, talks about the sheath specifically, but it does have like a fold over taco style sheath with a, a with a dangler with yep. a dangler option and a fire steel holder. And for for a thinner fire steel, like it's built into the welt sheath on the nice. side. It looks yeah, really it, nice. it looks cool. It looks cool. They um. <clears throat> Looks kind of like one of ours. <laughs> so that's just that's just me poking fun. Um, no, but this is awesome. This is cool. I wonder what did they say? What the price point was? One forty-five. Oh, good. One forty-five. Yeah. No, that's totally reasonable. I might pick one of those out. And that's MSRP. MSRP one forty-five. So that means street price is probably going to be closer to one twenty-five. One twenty. Yeah. Yeah. You can you can immediately take fifteen percent. Right. Fifteen twenty percent off that. Um. So yeah, that's cool. Definitely check that out. Awesome. All right. And we are going to dive directly into the history segment right after this. Welcome back. 
This is Matt Martin of Behind the Blade Podcast here to tell you about our friends and dear supporters of the show, KME Sharpeners. Now, as you guys know, it is July 26th at the time that we record this. That means we only have a couple months away before archery season opens up. I bet you didn't know that KME offers, not only offers, but started as a broadhead arrow sharpening device. Like specifically that? That's, I that's, had no yeah, idea. Yeah, and that, yeah. so they're deeply rooted in the broadhead sharpening. Huh. And Jake, my buddy, who actually is a, not like a professional buddy, he's a close friend of mine, who works over at KME, is an avid archer. So it all makes sense when you really put the pieces together, right? Nice. In fact, I call Jake when I have questions about archery. So it's like him and Jerome <laughs> Pag are, are my archery gurus. But uh, Pagano, I'm sorry, I abbreviated your name, Jerome. That's what it used to be on Facebook. Uh, anyway, so if you guys are uh, archery hunters and you want to make sure that your kit is precisely tuned and ready to go, razor sharp broadheads, go check out kmesharp.com and see the products that they offer for that specific task. While you're there, you'll be able to find stuff for a million other specific tasks because we know you've got knives of all shapes and sizes and edges of all shapes and sizes around your house. So go check them out. That's kmesharp.com. Be sure to tell them that the guys... I'm sorry, the handsome gentleman at Behind the Blade Podcast sent you. And we are back with the history segment. Very timely uh, in, what would you say, coordination you know, uh, unintentional coordination. Say it's a coincidental circumstance. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> With uh, Benchmade's drop of their Puko, we are going to be covering the Puko. Right. As the a history. design. Yeah. The history his- of historic the Puko. knife. You know, uh, mm-hmm. we'll get into its origins, which mm-hmm. I can tell you are Finnish. Um, being in the, in New Sheffield. So this is an interesting fun fact. This one's free, guys. Um, Upper Peninsula of Michigan has the highest Finnish population outside of Finland. Okay, I knew that there were Finns up here, but I didn't know that. The highest. Really? Yeah, and oh, we man. even have broadcast uh, television shows that are all in Finnish yeah, language. That I did know. Yeah, which I, ha- I still haven't seen it. I, I, I remember. I remember living at home with mom and dad, and like trying to find Saturday morning cartoons when we first moved here, and finding like, like find, it, the show's called Finland Now. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and hurt your hair to flip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sure, Finns appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, deeply apologize yeah. for that for all of our Finnish listeners. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay, you guys can make fun of English too. It's a hoot. If we all made fun of each other, hate would stop. Uh, so yeah so that's pretty interesting now we'll get into this before we do though knowing the Finnish origins and knowing the uh, abundance of the puko knife in usage here we also know that Webster Marble took the handle from the marble's ideal Mm -hmm. that handle design was based on the Finnish puko that is like it's good to have like a definitive link between the two because when you look at it you're like oh yeah it is really similar. It's a it's barrel-shaped, barrel-shaped handle. handle. Right. Yeah. And instead of birch bark, it's stacked leather, right? right? So that was based on the Puko handle. And furthermore, uh, was, uh, was, Sergeant, was it Sergeant Major Baker, the designer of the Mac V Sog Knife, if I'm not mistaken? I don't know. I'm telling you. Okay. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Yeah. The designer, the officer who designed the Mac V Sog mm-hmm. Fighting Bowie, used 
the marbles handle as the influence on the original sog knives. So there's a direct line between the country of Finland and sog knives. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, isn't that crazy? That, that's so awesome. How, how that just keeps going. Down, yeah. You know, so it's amazing. And so this is where it all begins. And you'll have to forgive us. We've been editing the video, which we just posted up. So everyone's a little bit shot and we don't have our normal <laughs> rhythm because we're trying to figure out how to cram as much into two weeks as we possibly can between video recording, editing, writing the show yep. and recording the show. I'm actually, um, if you were to do a brain scan on me right now, it would be absolutely brain dead until about a half a millisecond before I started speaking. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's the truth. So, okay. so let's get into the design of the Puko. It is a small traditional Finnish general purpose belt knife with a single curved cutting edge and usually a flat back. And this is taken from Wikipedia. The basic components of a Puko are a handle, a blade, along with a sheath. <laughs> Very descriptive. Whoa. Uh, which can usually be attached to a belt, but sometimes to a shirt or coat button. The blade is short, typically no longer than the handle, and often less than four inches. Interesting. So to keep convention with uh, Benchmade, mm-hmm. sounds like they held to the tradition. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, flat back allows the user to place a thumb or his other hand on it to concentrate the force. Pukos are used both as a tool for all kinds of carving, especially to work wood and clean the catches of anglers and hunters. Some Pukos, Puko designs have a slightly upwards or downward curved point, depending on what purpose the knife has. A hunting puko's tip is often curved downwards to make skinning and opening the animal easier and less messy. Fishermen's pukos sometimes have a small dovetail on point to ease scraping off the innards of a fish. That's interesting. What I don't do think I've seen dovetail that. On point? Uh, you mean like a slight trailing point? May, oh, maybe that's may, what they mean may, by that. I, I think yeah. I've seen that because okay. I've, seen, I've seen the three different ones. I've seen the slight trailing point. I've seen the straight back. Right. Almost... Almost Japanese Tonto-ish yeah, thing, absolutely. right? Yeah, you know what I'm talking like about? And then, yeah. and, and then the drop point. Well, we should... Yeah. We, we need to talk about some Japanese stuff other than the Higo no Kami because, I mean, there's some rich history. Oh, there's there. a massive amount of history there. Let's stick to Finland Un- for a Untapped. Second. Okay. Yeah, all yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> wrong, part, wrong, wrong part of the world. Put a Go. pin in Next. that one. Next. Most Bukos have a slight shoulder but no ricasso, section of unsharpened blade nearest the handle. You guys know that because you are knife aficionados. Because the point where the edge ends and the handle begins is also the point where most power can be applied. Mm-hmm. So they have no ricasso mm-hmm. to provide no weak point in their... Mine. Yeah, yeah, they've uh, the the edge just goes directly to the handle. It does. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, a puko typically has no guard to stop the hand from slipping onto the edge, but this is of no great importance since it is primarily considered a cutting tool, not a stabbing weapon. In cases where the knife and hand are expected to get wet, expected to get wet, like if the puko is meant for gutting fish or game, some form of guard is carved into the handle. The traditional length of the puko blade is mm-hmm. the same as one's palm, usually 90 to 120 millimeters. Carvers, huntsmen, and leather workers favor shorter blades. Woodworkers, carpenters, and constructors and constructors <laughs> longer. <laughs> the blade of the historical oh Vakipuko may be up to 500 millimeters. The Vakipuko more closely resembles a sax or short sword than a true puko, although it is given the form hmm. of the liku of the Sami people. It's just a big puko. Yeah, that's yeah, what I'm getting at. Yeah. Just a real big puko. Yeah. Both factory forged yeah. and hand forged mm-hmm. blades are sometimes laminated. A thin layer of very hard steel, traditionally crucible steel, made from limonite lima iron, is sandwiched between two layers of softer metal which make the blade less brittle and facilitates repeated sharpening. Before the 19th century, almost all iron in Finland was made from limonite on charcoal blast furnaces. So I, I did not know that the Finns were experts in laminating. No, I had no idea that it was traditional. I didn't either. Yeah, no, that's not at all. That's 
That's pretty cool. It's pretty slick. Yeah, yeah put, honestly. Put that one in the knowledge bank. Yeah. Which yield a very pure and high quality iron suitable for crucible steel. German silver steel was and is popular core steel material. Today, both carbon steel and stainless are used. The blade can be lightened and strengthened with a fuller. As we all know, the fuller is not there to release the suction of the gut cavity, but more to lighten the blade. <laughs> Marketing. The traditional material for the handle is currently Masur birch. Also, great swallow, sallow root. Great sallow root. Great sallow root. Birch bark, horn, especially elk and reindeer, scrimshaw and bone are used. Mm-hmm. Often the handle is made from various materials between spacers. Today, however, industrially made pucos often have plastic handles. Sure. I get the feeling that a lot of this is actually translated from Finnish because it's it, written it doesn't a little translate bit. perfectly. Okay. Yeah, it's written a little yeah. funny. In gotcha. Finland and northern Scandinavia, many men put great pride in carving their puko's handle. Over generations, this knife has become immediately tied to Nordic culture, and in one or another version, is part of many national costumes. A good huh. puko is equal parts artistic expression and tool. I think that carries over to just about any knife that mm-hmm. is crafted yep. versus a green button is pushed and a knife squirts out. You know absolutely, what I mean? absolutely, especially if it's something that's handed down. Yes, because I mean, it, it sounds like it sounds like it's generational. It, oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah like that, an heirloom cool. piece or yeah. even the craft is generational. Right, right? Yeah, absolutely, gotcha. Making it requires a lot of different skills, not only those of a bladesmith, but also those of a carver, a jeweler, a designer, and a leather worker to make the sheath. Some fine pucos have blades of pattern-welded steel, and forging a blade using blister steel was considered the hallmark of a master smith. That being said, you know who does make a killer-looking puko out of pattern-welded steel? <laughs> uh, who, who? Jesse Hemphill. Does he really? I'm telling you, man. Like, yeah. His, his I don't think pukos, I've ever seen one of his pukos. I've seen some of I've, I've seen his knives, obviously. But no, are they really like, nice? I mean, sorry, yeah. guys. I had to move my chair. <laughs> they are hot. Like, yeah, I want cool. one. And honestly, I would <laughs> prefer to have one satin sure out of his damascus out of his pattern welded steel right but not acid etched right i well, like I mean, seeing that activity yeah. well, that, in that's, certain light that's your that's your, that's the tiger lips thing that you just gave me i mean that, that's fully etched yes but there's a satin right on top of it but you can still see the layers yes yeah. and so yeah, that's okay i i would like that so that, i think that'd be cool Men and women's pukos do not significantly differ other than in size, as the handle of a puko should match the hand of its owner. The women's pukos are often shorter, may have decorated cheese, and are better suited for working with foodstuffs. Both boy and girl scouts consider the puko their scouting symbol as well as a handy tool. Receiving a good puko as a gift is considered a great honor in Finland. Hmm. In the Nordic countries, the puko is an everyday knife that is used for everything from hunting, fishing, and garden work to opening boxes in the warehouse. Many traditional pukos are nowadays manufactured in industrial or near-industrial scale by many companies. Martini, who makes a great puko, by the way. Mm-hmm. Mart- uh, I don't know if you ever looked up Martini. Martini, P- no. Martini, no, yeah, no, it's uh, M-A-R-T-T-I-I-N-I. Ooh. It's almost like someone was spelling my name and <laughs> had a stroke on the keyboard. So, um, And... Isaki Yarvenpa, Isaki Yarvenpa, Oi, Isaki Yarvenpa, Oi, being the most notable. Bearing of sharp objects, which could be used as weapons, was banned in Finland in 1977. Since then, the puko has lost its visibility in public places and been restricted to household work, hunting, and fishing. In many industries, the Mora knife, which has a much cheaper mm-hmm. construction, is in use. The Mora knife's handle is typically plastic, and the blade is either stainless steel or of laminated construction. Harder steel, which forms the edge, of, edge is clad in softer steel. In Finnish, these knives are usually referred to as puko. So I, nice. I would say a mora is 
Definitely in the list. I don't know if we've covered more knives. I feel like we have in history segments. I, I don't know. I'd have to look back okay. to tell you the truth. Um, it, that's it sounds, one sounds that familiar. everybody needs yeah. to have in their collection is a, a Mora knife. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I've had several. I, I don't have one now, oddly enough, but I, I, I'll get another. I'll spend the 12 bucks and get another one. <laughs> they're great knives. I mean, I think pound for pound, they're some of the best. Uh, in Finland, carrying a knife in public place without a permit or job-related reason is prohibited. Currently, the only urban areas where they can be seen carried openly are garrisons. Openly Ooh. carrying a puko, while illegal, is not vigorously enforced. Construction workers often go to dinners with uh, or diners with a puko hanging from their overalls. And in the rural, rural and northern parts of the land, it's not uncommon to go shopping in the village stores wearing hunting clothes. That includes a puko. For instance, deep ecologist, ornithologist, and writer Penti Linkola, who supports himself, who supports himself as a fisherman, often appears in public wearing his puko. <laughs> So they're like, right. you're not allowed to carry it, but it's so traditional. Everyone's so used to seeing it. Right. If you're not doing anything menacing with it, they don't give you a lot of guff. Yeah, it, po- sounds, it, sounds, it, sounds, it sounds like they just like only enforce it when somebody actually does something wrong. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. The puko is the only civilian item which can be openly worn as part of a soldier's combat gear without breaching the regulations of the Finnish Defense Forces regulations. Because pukos are traditionally considered to be very personal items, the defense forces do not supply conscripts with them, and most conscripts bring their own with them into military service. It is a custom of Finnish conscripts, non-commissioned officers, and officer cadets to carry a decorated and engraved commemorative puko of their year-long training course as part of their uniform, not unlike commemorative dagger. This is rationalized as the carrying of a handy tool, but also doubles as a symbolic weapon. Pukos proved to be good close combat weapons in the Winter War and Continuation War. The bayonet of the RK-62 assault rifle has been designed to also function as a puko, as was the rare bayonet for the M39 Mosin Nagant. Oh, that's, that's interesting. Hang on, hang on. What, what was the name of that again? I really want to look it up right now. Uh, which one? The RK-62 the, the assault rifle? Yeah, There's yeah. two of them. There's one for the M39. Okay. Uh, but we can do the RK-TAC-62 assault rifle bayonet. Or just do, I would just do, yeah, Romeo Kila TAC-62 uh, bayonet. Let's see it. Jim's you, pulling it up right now. You, uh, you, you, you did say Romo, Romeo Kilo, and you noticed that I. Oh, look at you! Understanding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that'll that'll be a good joke for you guys. Is that it? No, that's uh, that looks like it though. This, this one, right? Um, even more or so in the leather sheet there. Here. Yep. Uh, down one. Down one. one? Yes. That. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah, it looks yeah, like yeah. a it's frost. More. Yeah, it's got the bayonet mount. Yeah, M thirty nine. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. the M39 Mosin Nagant bayonet. So, yeah, it looks like a... That's a cool-looking knife. Yeah, like I a mean, you, little clip on it. That's cool. Oh, the fuller, yeah. I'll have to track one of those down. That's neat. <laughs> that, that is actually pretty slick. That's it is. If cool. you took off the uh, barrel mount, the yeah. ring... Yeah. You know, just put your thumb over it like that. That's a sweet-looking knife. That is pretty slick. Yeah. It's just like, like inspiration. It. Yeah. Okay. Super cool. So, all right, next. In Finland, receiving a puko as a gift is considered an honor. The idea being that the presenter is giving the recipient a tool, which is essential for both woodworking and preparing food, and as a weapon that the presenter takes into account the well-being of the recipient. You know what? I am totally jealous. That that is a cultural... That, yeah, that's that, a cultural thing, like brought up traditionally through the ages has been give somebody a knife. To show and, them that you care right. about their well-being. To sh- right. Yeah, yeah, like, it's like, can we just bring that back? You can survive with this, man. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's just bring yeah, that back. I think that's neat. <laughs> that's cool. Um, <laughs> let's see. And I... Yep. I think that's Stop. it. Yeah. Is that yeah, it? Yeah, well, we're it was, done. It had a pretty abrupt end. I'm sorry, guys. So, uh, <laughs> sorry. However, weird. there it is. The full history on the puko although it doesn't give you know i'm a little disappointed so it does give some ex- uh, explanation but it does tell me how long they've been carried 
I don't know how old yeah. the Puko so, design is, and that's I, what I'd be interested. In. I, I would I would guess that since they were able to smith metal. Oh, I, I would right? in Finland, yeah. yeah as the Nordic cultures developed that, which the the Vikings arguably beat everybody else out there. Oh, of course, to, but, to it. yeah, so, <laughs> um, yeah, because the sure. peat bogs, right? So yeah, the yeah. super pure iron, super cool, so, man. Anyways, yeah. it's a neat knife. Uh, I recommend you guys check them out. I recommend you check out companies like Hella. Yeah, um, Hella. They, they yes, do definitely. a really yes. good H E L L E. Yeah, H E L L E. I actually got to talk with the president of Hella. No, no kidding. He was um he he was he had a show at Iwa in um, the last couple times I went he wasn't there but it was the year before that he actually did the whole booth by himself so you guys are in oh, Nuremberg wow. in March in the beginning of March um, stop by and check it out I mean I know it's a little bit of a far fetched thing yeah. you know it's like if you have we're Germany, talking to you yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but um, but uh, no he was he was he was an awesome guy he actually gave us a bunch of tips about the booths but he would but we talked a little bit of knife theory and he's like he's like hey I saw your guys bushcrafter. At the time, at the time, here's how you could change it. And of course, it's just the barrel style handle and everything. Right. But he was awesome about the whole thing. He was a really cool dude. How fun. I but, would like yeah. to make, you know, I've never made one. Yeah. And they seem like a fun one to do. I would love to see a vehement knives interpretation of a Puko. I, I, I think it's cool. I think I could have fun with it, to be well, completely honest with you. Well, I mean, especially, especially something like taking the edge all the way back into the handle. Yes. It would be, would be a Matt Martin filing like milestone. <laughs> Good. That's what I need. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Can we I just mean, have matching plunge lines? <laughs> oh, good. No, you have to have oh, no plunge lines. So. Right. Zero <laughs> plunge lines. So, no, I, I think it would be a fun knife. In fact, as, uh, you know, talking to the you guys in the trenches right now, maybe we could figure out a way to have some fun with this, make some pukos. Yeah. That'd actually be pretty slick. It's, yeah, there's some potential right? there. Yeah. yeah. Lots so, of different ways. Yeah, so, I think I like the Fullard version personally. I don't know where I would go with that, so we'll see. Okay. Yeah, let's have some fun. Anyways, <laughs> right. we will be back in a flash. Uh, Tech Tips this week was done via video, so you can actually go to yep. our YouTube channel, Behind the Blade Podcast. Is yep, it? It's, it should be YouTube.com slash Behind the Blade Podcast, or actually, I'm, I'm not sure if we have enough subscribers yet to do that. Oh. So, so I think you can go to YouTube and just type in Behind the Blade Podcast Guard Soldering Tutorial. Spoilers. <laughs> don't type the spoilers, but but you get it. Um, type that in, subscribe to our YouTube channel, um, whatever, you know, the channel that's hosting that video and get us above that 100 subscribers. As soon as we can do that, we can have a custom URL. We can do custom thumbnails. There's all sorts of stuff that we can actually like do like real professional big boy YouTube channels. The more of you guys that subscribe, (laughs) the better experience we can give to everybody. So we're asking you to help everybody out just by subscribing. And that allows us certain liberties to make the viewing experience and the searching experience better. Alternatively to the YouTube channel, you can also go onto our Facebook page and watch the video there. I literally just got done uploading. Yeah, actually, that's it's, what held up the episode. It's there. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that's or, or held up the video. Yeah, the video right. is waiting for the episode. Right. So, so here it is. So we will. Um, all right. I, I think that's it. And that's we'll it. see you guys in the Q and A's. What's happening, gang? So we were, a couple months ago, Tom Blodgett over at Agenda Industries gave us this really cool virtual tour, and you'll hear me talk about it every once in a while, because it was quite the experience to live video look at his wizard shop. I mean, the stuff that was going on there. Now, I know we talk about their abrasives and all the things used for knife sharpening on the show, but the truth is the depth and breadth of Genda's catalog is so much more than that. And we got to see behind the scenes into the very rooms that some of these products were being made. We were specifically instructed not to talk about them. Well, they're up on the website now. So it <laughs> so, is fair game. <laughs> Sorry, Tom. 
<laughs> these, I, I tell you what, even just seeing the atmosphere and environment that some of these products were crafted, and I'll get to that in a second, was enough to instill confidence in me. And I'm pretty picky, especially when it comes to, here's a hint, leather goods. I'm very picky when it comes to leather goods. And looking at their products now on the website, they do these knife rolls. They do culinary rolls, like chef's knife rolls, even some that resemble like briefcases. I mean, just amazing pro level, high quality craftsmanship goes into these vessels for carrying your prized possessions. And in some cases, your professional tools of the trade, right? Yeah. So I highly recommend you go check out gendaindustries.com and click on their Sweet Burden knife roll, the Chef's knife bag, the Genda Custom Leather knife roll. I mean, they've got so many different products and so many different styles and color configurations that there's guaranteed to be something there that you're gonna be like, look, I spent a lot of money on my knives. They deserve to have an appropriate <laughs> carrying vessel and these fall so into that category. Go check them out, gendaindustries.com. Please be sure to tell them Behind the Blade sent you. Thank you so much. And we are back to do our absolute favorite segment. We love doing this segment. It is the Q&As. You, you guys make the job easy for us by having questions, and we love giving the A's. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, in this case, we were like, hey, Jim, did you post a question box? And Jim was like, I thought you were going to do it, Matt. And we were like, ah, cripes. So about 10 minutes before we started recording, we threw up the question box. So we're a little light on questions, but I have a feeling there's a question in there that we can get tangential on very easily. So, Jim, what do we have? And there's a bunch of... Silly questions. There you go. That I almost used some bad words right there, but I didn't. That's what counts. All right. From Andrew Riley, I've recently started seeing makers going to mold polishing stones as part of their finishing process. Is this something either of you guys have experience with? If so, what type of stones do you recommend? Hard, medium, silicon carbide, or a different material? Just curious what your experience or opinions have been. Mold? Is that what you said? Uh, hold on. What is this? Uh, mold polishing stones as part of their finishing process. What, I don't know what the word mold is. I, in like casting mold? I think so. Mr. Riley, I have to express my ignorance. I do not know what you mean by mold polishing stones. This maybe def- molded, yeah. Molded, know, yeah. maybe. Um, my experience with stones has, has been with uh, shaped in glass stones. Yep. Arkansas hard and soft. Um, Japanese natural stones. And um, diamond plates. There you go. And and CBN formulas and but all that But you wouldn't stuff use too, that but, for a finish. Uh, for a blade finish, for, I think is what he's For a blade at. finish, for polishing stones, I I wouldn't I Well, I kind of do yeah. in a weird way because yeah. I use the Genda the sharpening abrasive mark. sticks. Oh, yeah, yeah, but, you, but that that's in addition to the mirror finish you've already got, right? So you well, finish it out. Even on a satin, and, even, not a satin, but even on a um, hand rub finish. Okay, I'll, I'll sure. use those to get the scratches out and counter polish. Oh, right. And, and then it, finish with paper. Right. So okay, I, yeah. I do use those not yeah. as a final finish because they're so narrow, it wouldn't be an even finish anyways. Not not purely with those. Right. So yeah. uh, when you say using stones, I picture like how they do Japanese swords and stuff like, you know. Yeah. On, where, where it's just back and forth. Right. You know, just, just uh, you know, in that small little area to get the polish right. And then and they then move they use down the, the blade. The yeah. stones or the finger stones or whatever they're called. Yes. It's, they're like a really tiny almost translucent they are translucent right. stone that you put under your fingerprint and they use that to do the finish polish right right yes. so it's uh, uh so honestly i've never used that method and i have mm-hmm. never seen anybody use it 
Yeah. I'd have to do some investigation on that one. Yeah, that, that actually would be pretty cool. Maybe a, maybe a history segment or tech tips on this. Right. You know, after we get a little bit more, you know, curious on this. Hey, shout out to Thomas Blodgett. If you know anything about this. Oh, right. And if you have anything that uh, that maybe we can get from you to, you know, just throw throw us a price. We throw you some money. Throw, you throw us some stones. You know, that normal thing. Throw some stones. Throw some stones that maybe uh, that, that maybe would help us... Um, explain this. Lead, yeah. lead us on a journey of discovery to help properly explain this question. Journey of discovery always sounds kind of like a lifetime movie to me. Like, yeah, right, right, right. It's yeah. like, where, where's, the, where's the evil man? She came from a rough home. She hit the road and hitchhiked across the United States on a journey of discovery. Ah. Uh, yeah, that's awkward. <laughs> completing the human experience one truck stop bathroom at a time. I don't think it's so. a lifetime movie. Yeah. It is a lifetime movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, that wasn't even the question we were going to get tangential on. So right, right what uh, yeah, else we got? It was right off the bat from Pierce W J Taylor. Oh, How you doing, good Pierce? God, Pierce. Hi, Pierce. <laughs> uh, oh my god. Pierce is having a baby. Hey, congratulations, oh. Pierce. That's awesome, man. Uh, why is it called a fuller when it should be called a narrower? Tell you what, Pierce, I will answer this question if you let me name your baby. Oh, there we go. Fortinbras. <laughs> Cragathor. Yeah, there we go. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. One of those no, two. One of those two. Okay. Yep. All right. <clears throat> uh, you sm- you smart, Alec. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, Andy Tron. What are your top three favorite TV movie knife blades? Mine in no particular order is Conan Atlantean Sword, Thundercat Sword of Omens. Thundercat Sword, Andy? Come on. Let's try to keep things that you can hold. <laughs> <laughs> and the Rambo 3 knife, light, lightsabers don't count. Well, then I'm out. Rambo 3? You went with Rambo 3. It's a non-conventional it's, Rambo knife. It doesn't even have a hollow handle. The Rambo 3 knife? I'm not three familiar with not, the 3 Three knife. is I a hip and design with a wood handle, uh, kind of stylized. Okay, let me type this up. Okay. Rambo 3. Knife. knife. Yeah, it was not or, a Jimmy Lyle style. That was actually designed by Gil Hibben. How about how about I type Rambo correctly instead of Armbo? <laughs> it's a pretty tricky one, Jim. <laughs> yeah, no, R A M B O. Oh, yeah. okay, okay, gotcha. It's got a little bit of the. Uh, am I thinking Rod Chapel or Bill Moran in that um, handle? It's one of those two, either Rod Chapel or Bill Moran. I wish there was more of a description on this. What does it say? Well, I can tell you the description. It's a Gil Hibben design. Knife for the movie. And it's a departure from the Jimmy Lyle uh, hollow handle. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so description written. Description written. <laughs> Write uh, that down. <laughs> re- really? I'm so- I think... Okay, so hang on. We're going to come back to this just because uh, okay. Jim and I were talking about movie knives during the break. And so <laughs> we're going to just talk about some fun movie knives. What other questions are in there? We'll come back to this one okay, because I want right, to touch right, on you that. got it. You got it. You got it. Um, from... Aura Abplan. Aura Abplanalp. Thank you. Yep, Aura is a you. great guy. Yes. We're actually glad to have him back on Facebook. Welcome back, Aura. <laughs> he came back just for the knife community. Oh, he thank you, man. He got tired of all the BS in Facebook, right. and he left, and he was like, I missed the knife world, and he came back just for us collectively. <laughs> so you, good, welcome sir. back, Aura. All right, he actually uploaded a GIF with a question. Ooh. If you were a hot dog and you were starving, would you eat yourself? <laughs> I give him this illustrious introduction and he hits me with a bag of BS. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Aura! (laughs) Oh my god. On a more serious note, what would each of y'all's dream collaboration be? Maker, knife style. Okay. Mm -hmm. Jim, I know you had one on deck. Um, I have two. Yeah, okay, so so, and this, this kind of goes in line with another question later on. 
Um, but I would actually love to be to, to get in contact with Benchmade and do a collaboration with them. Jim Stewart design Benchmade execution on a folder. Oh, there you go. That'd be that'd be really cool. Um, I've got I've got a number of designs, but I think the most prominent like a slip one joint I have, folder or like a liner locker frame. Um, it would definitely be a slip joint. I love slip joints for some reason. To me, the the entire the entire what is it? The orchestra of physics that goes Ooh. into behind yes. that goes into a uh, that goes into what what a slip joint is is entirely completely fascinating to me. I don't even carry a slip joint. <laughs> but but it's but I love making them and I love the construction. I think it's cool. What I, lo- oh, no, I was <laughs> yeah. just looking for my Swiss Army knife. <laughs> I was like, I was like yeah, me yeah. neither, and I was like, oh, I'm in except every day. But you know. <laughs> no, yeah, you you got you've got yours in a leather slip, right? I yeah. do. Oh, yeah, that's God, cool. I just love this knife. So that's it cool. gives me so much pleasure to look at and hold. Oh, this is the original multi tools. Yeah, where, where are those I, those things are cool. Half tempted to start drinking imported beer just so I can use the cap lifter. <laughs> um, you don't need to drink imported beer. Have a Sammy. Oh, yeah. Yes, it's always it's, an option. Works good. It's a good choice. Uh, <laughs> so dream collaboration. So you, it'd be you and Benchmade? Yeah, I think me and Benchmade would be pretty good. I'd even love to do something with Spiderco. I mean, like, that would be that would be pretty cool, too, in, I, in my opinion. I would like to do... I have this idea, and there's only one person that I would execute it with, if not purely solo, and it's uh, me, isn't it? Thank it's you. Jim Stewart. Yeah. No, <laughs> no uh, go ahead. Go I, ahead. I, I have a, a dagger concept that I've had rolling around in my head for probably six, eight months now. Mm-hmm. And I think it's pretty solid. It's a novelty knife, to say the least, as most daggers are either novelty or, or collectible in that sense. Obviously, mm-hmm. you make them to use and you have to use premium materials and mm-hmm. heat treat and everything. It has to be fully functional. But the idea is kind of a novelty, but it would be so much fun to do. And there's only one person I know who's as much of a dagger fiend as I am, and only one person I know who's as much of a dagger fiend as I am and has amazing machining capabilities, and that's Les George. Ooh. And uh, he and I yeah. are kind of – buddies is probably pushing it pretty far, but we chat pretty regularly, mm-hmm. and he's been with me and Vehement Knives since – before I went full time. And nice. so he's kind of uh, quietly mentored me in the shadows. So, mm-hmm. but if there was ever a collaboration that I would like to do, it would be this specific dagger design with Les George. Nice. The other thing I would like uh-huh. to do okay. is I would like to hop in my time machine and <laughs> I would like to design a fighter with Bob Loveless. Oh, that would be so cool. And yeah, I uh-huh. have kind of the concept. Mm-hmm. Bob's handle geometry is up until recently has completely eluded me just mm-hmm. because it, it's pretty complex where the curves go and stuff like yep. that. Yep. It's very, it's very specific. It is. Yeah. And I, I figured out kind of, I could see the matrix for the first time recently. So oh, I was right. like, oh goodness. Um, <laughs> Blonde, it's brunette, a lot redhead. easier than I thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so no, I would, I would love to do a fighter with, you know, obviously this is a posthumous request, but I would like to do a fighter with Bob Loveless or I would like to do a dagger with, um, Les George. Les George. Yep. Very cool. Yep. Awesome. All right. From uh, Jerome Pagano. Thank you for the question, Aura. It was really cool. Jerome, I just hung your arrows on display in our lobby at HQ. Yeah, he just showed them to me. They yeah, were I just slight. showed Jim like, <laughs> yeah. while we're on break. He's like, he's like check this out. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, Matt and Jim, which ancient civilization do either of you think has had the most influence in bladed tools and weapons? How ancient? Well, ancient is ancient. So ancient I mean, is ancient, if so. you want to talk about influence, uh, and I, I say unfortunately, probably because to me, 
my passion was always in Japanese yep. um, swords and cutlery yep. as well, a kid. As you, can, you can tell just by looking at her style. There's a ton of influence there. Right. Some know, about for, the for simplicity yep. and the yep. execution. Well, and, it, and the specificity. Oh, right. Yeah, and the specificity is super is, is super intriguing it, to me, too. I totally get it. Yeah, there's you just know? there's so much to them. So I, I, I wish it was the Japanese, but in reality, it's the, it's the Norwegians. It's the Scandinavians, I should oh, say. The Scandinavians yep. are the ones that refined a lot of the steel process, even using they, crucible steels. I'd, I'd say back in ancient times, they were probably the ones that had the best steel on the planet. Yeah. At that point. Yep. I mean, like you're talking about down to... Because that's pre-Spain. That's pre... You know, right. when Spain was still pre, Iberia. Pre, you know what pre I mean? Iberian so, yeah. Peninsula. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That whole thing. That whole thing. Um, And uh, yeah, they had the... Uh, the Norwegians had like... What was it? What was it? Down to timing perfectly, the prayers needed to hold the steel in the fire to the perfect temperature. These mnemonic timekeeping devices oh, they came up right. with, right? And they they their their um their methods were as explicit as the Japanese. Yes. The only difference was is that they actually smelted ore instead of from sand. So did the Japanese. Ta- Tama- oh, Tamahagane is an ore. Or okay, and okay, so yeah. So okay, that, I did hear that before. Yep. I'm a moron. Go ahead. That's okay. Yep, uh, yep. We're checks and balances, man. Yeah, um, that's right. That's why there's two of us. No, that and <laughs> the uh, I think Swedish is another Scandinavian country that did the ice temper, where they would, yes. uh, you know, during yep. their tempering mm-hmm. process, throw it in the snow for a specific a specific amount of time, yeah, and that they would they would they would go up into the mountains and bury it in the frost line. Yeah, which and is then crazy. and then go get it in the spring. Yeah, it'd be yeah. like, a, and and that mm-hmm. is a practice that was in use. Mm-hmm. I want to say like up until like 30 years ago. Maybe. I mean, it was... <laughs> until, until they discovered, oh, we can just put this in a tank. You're right. Oh, let's okay. do that. So, oh yeah, that's, that's a lot faster. <laughs> pretty cool. But I would say that they are the most influential in metallurgy. Okay, so yes. let's say metallurgy. So what would design influence? What Dude, would be? <clears throat> um, I, I'd say a huge design. You can't overlook it would be the Kopesh. Mm. Right, the Kopesh, mm-hmm. and and the Kopesh there conquered conquered other countries the and Falcata, continents. All the that, Falcata, yeah, obviously, it all came, yeah, 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 yeah. That that whole thing, Alexander the Great, I think, um, comes to mind with that whole thing. What are, what other what other what I'm other... trying to think of knives, and so or, uh, not, because I'm just I'm just thinking blade designs in general. You're thinking so, specifically just knives. no. I, I'm just yeah. as a subset. You know okay, what I mean? Yeah, sure, so, sure, sure, yeah. so let's say knives for both utility and or fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the Europeans like uh the brits and the spanish and stuff like that and, mm-hmm. you know they even the romans they did a lot of daggers and daggers rapiers the yeah, french french so, the, the gauls did mango oh, right, and, yep. and, or actually i think that was french not gaul is that yeah, but that's okay isn't that the same or similar same same area okay but i think the mangosh came way later okay and i could totally be wrong about that i am right. literally spitballing off the top of my head just from like the little bit that i know so but, we did in today's History lesson, the Puko, mm-hmm. yeah. and what it did to influence Webster Marble and what Webster Marble did to influence uh, oh, yeah. fighting knives of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. It, you know what I mean? So yeah. in that respect, we're taking something that is centuries old and converting it to contemporary modern fighting knives mm-hmm. of today, fighting slash utility knives. Yeah. So, I mean, there's <clears throat> definitely some influence. Again, it goes back to the Scandinavians. Yeah. Now, what's interesting is the Puko is very reminiscent to the Japanese Aikuch, which sure. is a yeah, yeah. a guardless tanto, basically. It's right. a very it's a smaller knife. Yeah. And shape wise, so maybe they kind of discovered each other at the same time. Perhaps, I, I would you know, say just because it's yeah. so functioning, right? Well, well, I mean, if you look at the blade, you, it just screams pure utility. Yes, simplicity and execution, utility. It's not meant as a weapon. It's just meant as something to cut something. Right, and right? previous to right? our common era, right mm-hmm. now, previous to 
Webster Marble inventing the thicker spined uh, sport knife, knife, American hunting knife. Everything kind of looked like kitchen cutlery. Totally. Everything did the, across all civilizations. All the as pine, far as the pioneer knives did. and everything. Yeah. They look like an old hickory. Seriously. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't think the influence outside of metallurgy and really not even design cues because other than the Puko and the Aikuch together mm-hmm. side by side, that would be centuries old. Yeah. But anything other than that was a kitchen knife, a butcher knife. Yeah, it was just kind of a utility thing. It wasn't really designed to be anything more than a slab of metal with an edge to do a to do a task with. Right. There wasn't any like like specific like 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 the Norwegians had the traditional the Scandinavians had the traditional style. It's part of their culture. This is how you take care of yourself. This is survival. Japanese but, have Japanese have the same thing. The Iguch thing. It was, it's a utility knife. It's meant to be carried every day. It's meant for use basic usage and basic utility things. Right. Right, and that would a, also be their uh, kogatana, you sure. know, the kozuka kogatana. Right, little, right. You know, that's it's, a, it's it looks a, like a pairing knife. It, it gave the design and, and and its execution and its utility some celebrity. Mm-hmm. Right, I mean, there there was like a like a reason to really kind of like have this thing as part of your normal survival. Right, everything else in all the other cultures was just kind of like it's a thing. Maybe the German you know? Jagnecker, like the, the oh, I'm not familiar with that one. That's a yep. it's like a throat slitting blade for deer hunters. Sure, and they're yeah, they're okay. really pretty. And Are they really? <laughs> I took. I was looking at a couple that uh, Reed has over at uh, North, North Star, Star Trading, Trading Post. Post, and they're gorgeous knives. Are they and really? I don't know oh how far they go back. I would assume well over a hundred years. Sure, yeah. but uh, I mean that's a well executed, purpose built knife that has mm-hmm. some Bowie influence. I would say or Bowie influence. Gotcha. Like. That's about the same time, isn't it? But smaller. Yeah, yeah but smaller. They're very yeah. small. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, neat knife. So yeah, so I, I would say metallurgically Scandinavians, I think, uh, utility wise, I feel like the Puko was used in a more utility context than the very ceremonious Japanese would use their Aikuch. And cool. so yeah. I, I don't think they used mm-hmm. that to split wood or gut fish. I think no. they had more specialized blades for that. Well, it, uh, it, was the, it was the whole specificity thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. like the right tool for the right job. So let's invent Ooh, this tool for so. this job. Yeah, That's it. So. So, yep. Yeah. Right, totally cool. What else we got? Okay. Uh, thanks, Jerome, by the way. Yep. Matthew Schweer, my man, up, when man? when using a micron belt that has no directional marking, which way do you run it on a belt grinder? Left. But only if the machine's in reverse. <laughs> Where's your cricket <laughs> sound? <laughs> he's all, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's gearing up. He's like, he's, they're reading my question. We're bi-directional, then- <laughs> dude. You can just throw it on anyway. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to pay for that at yeah. some point. I'm going to get like a message at 3 a.m. saying I need help. And oh, by the way, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, uh, I've blown more micron belts while sharpening that I care to admit is my angle too steep. No, dude, they're micron belts. You cannot sharpen they're, on a micron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't do that. Um, it's, it's, you're probably generating more heat than you should. And, yep. and the grid is super small. You're better off on a, you're better off on a stone and strop. Yep. Uh, or even a power strop. Yep, power uh, strop, uh, leather belt, leather belt on, yeah, leather right. belt, 2 by 72 with some black compound on it is what we use it at the shop whenever we're doing bevel that. Yeah, oh, yeah, I love them. Yeah, yeah they're and, really great. Oh, my and, game, big time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's super fast. Yep. So, um, uh, other thing is, uh, do not get the micron belts wet at all. Don't. No. Yeah, no, no, no. no. They turn into gummy pieces of crap. And, yeah. it, like, every time I, yeah. if, if you come up, you're hot, you know, your night, your blade's getting warm, and mm-hmm. you dunk, and you come up, the blade, or the belt just grenades on you like i just have them explode on me and i was like it took me like two belts before i realized it was the water that was doing it and i'm like why are like, these breaking it so yeah I'm like oh yeah yeah they don't they don't react well the moisture neither do right. uh trizac no no you're not you're not the only one driving and riding the struggle bus you just needed that extra little bit of info there you go that's all no it's all bus. good um dan malefsky 
Matt has done a collaboration with Bark River. To Jim and Matt, which companies would you like to do collaborations with? Or if that is top secret, I will skull away. Oh, are these the it, same question? No, uh, two different it, people? It's, it's uh, roughly the same question, two different people. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so so again, I'm going to reiterate the Benchmade slip joint thing, which I think which I think it would be, would be awesome. I would love to do that. Um, um, I did get to talk with the uh, the marketing, I think it was the marketing director from Benchmade okay. at IWA a number of couple of years ago. Super nice guy. Says that... Um, says that uh, you know him and I are of the same mind and and actually it was the uh, the international sales director for Spider Co. Oh. and and I think it was the guy at ZT and I think it was the guy at Hella. It was all the same year. It was really interesting about how we all talked about how there isn't any competition. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. We all kind of had the same the same thing. Yeah. It was pretty cool. Um but yeah, definitely Benchmade or Spider Co. for me. And it really wouldn't be for like a, like a get rich quick scheme, I, I really don't even care about that. It would just be like I get to work with some cool people. Yeah, you know, and that would that would actually you know I think I would definitely inflate my head a little bit. Well, that was the fun yeah. that I had with Bark River too, and we have another yeah. uh, historic uh, like Vietnam era fighting blade that we're working on. To, oh, as you dude, guys know, I, I'm super excited I for it. It's counting so cool. the friggin' yeah. days, man. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's more like hey, this is cool. I got to spend all the time you know in drawing and engineering and stuff like that. And I get to see a lot of these knives go out to people at a reasonable price that they can afford. And it allows them to take possession of what is kind of a vehement knife. And mm-hmm. there's not a huge asterisk next to it because it, it still is in, in design. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And well, you did all the, you know, the design functions. So it's, it's all it's of fun. Matt Martin's design. Yeah, and it's, it's cool. It's it's a lot of fun. And it's a good way to proliferate your brand. Um, I The dagger that I would – I'm actually going to have to call less and – show him what I'm talking about because I think he'd be game. Um, but <laughs> the dagger that I would like to do with him, I I think would be cool. And that would just be fun. I don't even think there's enough money in that kind of volume to make it quote unquote worth my time. It is just about the experience and the yelling at each other about, <laughs> no, it should be like this. No, it should be like that. Like that's an experience in and of itself and totally worth the price of admission. So I, uh, it's not a monetary thing by any means. It is, it is pure experience. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's, I think it would just be a lot of fun. That's cool. That's yeah. cool. All right. Thank you, Dan. Uh, from Jeff Dunn, who would win Godzilla or King Kong? I think Godzilla or King Kong threw Godzilla into the ocean. Yes. Yeah. So I think so too. That's already been answered, man. Right. Uh, uh, speaking of uh, San Diego Comic Con, dropped the trailer for Godzilla Two. Oh, good. Twenty years in the making. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. <laughs> yeah um, you, you, uh, Stranger Things. The the, chick, the girl who plays Eleven is like one of the main characters. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Oh, awesome. No, it looks really, really good. talented actor. And I can't oh, tell if goodness. she's actually that dark or not, but like I mean, yeah. like mentally mentally dark. Like. She looks like she's. It's the same kind of like terrified monster darkness that Stranger Things okay. is. So she was like a shoe in, and I think she's gonna do a really good job. Nice. Yeah. So it looks good. I can't so. remember her name for the life of me though, but I don't remember. It's been a year since I've watched Stranger Things. So. You should definitely. Well, Stranger Things season three is coming back. Oh I no. I shared it. Yeah, September, you saw it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's coming back. Let's bring it back to the night. <clears throat> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so, oh, movies. Good segue. So, movies. Yeah. So, oh, that's right. That's right. We had the what question. Are, what, yep. are, what are some movie knives? Now, favorites. I we, We've covered this before. The Hunted, you know, the Beck WSK tracker mm-hmm. knife. I mean, that is a favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, there was something about the fight scene at the end of the first Under Siege when the, uh, Tommy Lee okay. Jones is fighting Steven Seagal with a Gerber Mark II. Yeah. Which I just got in the mail a couple <laughs> days ago. Like, that era Gerber Mark II. So, I'm very excited about it. Right. I have a leather jacket. I have a crappy disposition. And I have a Gerber Mark II. So, I'm pretty much Tommy Lee Jones <laughs> at the end of Under Siege. I can uh, see that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that's a great movie knife. We were just talking about Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. And uh, Jack, uh, what's his? Uh, Palance? Uh, no, I'm no, sorry. No, Jack. <laughs> what are our push-ups? Uh, I just almost said Jack Reacher. What's his last name? Jack. 
up. I know, we were yeah. just saying I, it. Like, yeah, we were ago. too. Oh my goodness. Anyway, you guys are probably screaming right, at your radios right, right now. Because uh, they all know it right now, right? right? But Jack carried a Gerber Counter-Strike 2. Okay. Is that right? A yes. Counter, yeah, counter yeah, 2? Yeah, yeah. Was it a Counter earlier, 2 yeah. or Strike 2? Counter? I got to uh, look that up too. Jack Burton. Jack Burton. Jack Burton, yeah. Remember, if somebody asks you if you paid your dues, just tell them the check's in the mail. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's a new segment we're doing on the Behind the Blade where we say <laughs> quotes from movies as best we can and you guys get to vote on it. No, I'm looking up Big <laughs> Trouble, Little China. It was a Gerber. China Knives. This is super pro, by the way. I know. This is, and, I, and I totally know it. We were just talking about it. I feel like such a jerk. <laughs> I was supposed from... It's a Gerber. It's not a rip. They call it a rip in this article. And they're saying... Diving knife. It's a counter two or tack two. It's a Gerber tack two. Tack I haven't two. even found it yet. Yep. There it is. Gerber tack two designed by Blackie Collins. Eventually they got picked up by uh, Bear and Sons. I think they still make them today. Oh, did they really? On the oh, same wow. tooling. So, That's which cool. is pretty cool. Uh, another, well, obviously the Rambo series was huge. Mm-hmm. Massive. Uh, the Bowie yeah. knife in uh, Inglorious Bastards. There's oh, something that yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a modified Shining Mountain Bowie yep. from back in the yep. day. It's really close. Yeah. yeah. And so that's pretty neat. Uh, I'm trying to think of what other in there was a James Bond with Pierce Brosnan where he busts out Ooh. a Gerber Mark One, uh, okay, the smaller right. of the two. Y- yes, yeah, which yes. I thought was pretty cool. Uh, the civilian, mm-hmm. oh, oh wait, gnarly sounds, scene. There was a civilian used by Anthony Hopkins in one of the Silence of the Lambs sequels. I don't remember which one it was, but he is walking wearing a red, a white hat. And somebody comes out from behind a corner and yep. he unfolds it with both hands. That's a Spider-Co civilian. Yeah, Spider-Co yes. civilian. Yes. And that yeah. menacing uh, double recurve yes, blade fully serrated. And, I mean, he puts in some work with it. It was pretty gross, but that was such an iconic scene of that knife that it, it kind of it gave some impact to that knife design. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> What would be another amazing knife that showed up in film? Oh, and uh, I want to say one of the James Bonds. There was a mm-hmm. Mikov Auto, Leverlock Ooh, Auto. That uh, was. Yeah, uh, I've got one of those laying around somewhere. Mikov Auto. So so yeah. do I. I love. Yeah, I love. Cool. I've had so many of them, and I just can't get enough of them. They're made in the Czech Republic. A very very cool knife. You can actually get on one of the websites if you were to Google Mikov, and you can mm-hmm. build kits yourself. And some of them have multiple tools in them, which I just think is the. Feline's hindquarters. That's pretty cool. I, I think it's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I'm trying to think what other cool m- movie knives have shown up. Obviously, the SOG SK5, possibly even the SOG Trident. I'm not sure, but it's I'm one of the traditional SOG. The SOG Trident's been in something. Uh, Terminator yeah. 2, Judgment Day. Oh, yeah, Day. that's where I've seen she it. Char- yes. She carves no fate into that right. table with, with it, a, and with it has it, like yeah. a really bold scene. So that was pretty cool. In Proof of Life. <laughs> he busts out a multi-tool to take out an Overwatch sniper, uh-huh. and it is one of the gnarliest scenes I've ever seen on film. And pretty, he uses the <laughs> saw, yeah, and he oh. comes in at the dude's neck with a multi-tool saw, like out of a Leatherman wave kind of thing. Oh, and man. it was a pretty brutal scene, but I was like, holy <laughs> cow, that was intense. Um, obviously, countless bayonets and stuff like that. So yeah, so mm-hmm. there's a list of uh, you know an abbreviated list of amazing knives that have had extreme screen presence uh, when they show up on the big screen. That's so, awesome. Anyways, I do believe that <clears throat> is a podcast. It is totally a podcast. We are just hitting our timing mark. Good timing, sir. Perfect. Thanks. Yeah. I wasn't even looking. Um, <laughs> just to read you guys in, if you've listened to the whole show, we are going to be moving to bi-weekly, which allows us to v- record and edit our videos. So on every off week, we're going to be making a video and it will get dropped on the same day 
that the podcast is recorded. That way there's some continuity there, but we just couldn't add two more shifts to our life. Like yeah, becomes, which, that's what it is, right? right. That's it's, exactly what it is. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Um, you can check out our YouTube channel. YouTube channel, we cannot do a custom URL yet because we don't quite have the subscribers. If you guys were to all click that subscribe button very quickly, we would be able to give you guys a custom URL, which will likely be youtube.com slash behind the play podcast. <clears throat> and and uh, and there you go. Um, we will be we will be simultaneously uploading our videos to YouTube and Facebook. So um, it's Facebook for distribution and to get it out there. And if you ever need to reference it, you can either come to the page to watch it or go right to our YouTube channel. There is a subscribe button there on our YouTube channel. And if you'd like to be get if you, if you would like to get notified of any uploads to that channel, click the bell next to the subscribe button. There you go. And uh, you will be notified via your email. There it is. And uh, what else? Uh, made some improvements to the shop today. We hung up some Dude, uh, sound cool. deadening yeah. in the form of some old military camo net because of its <laughs> irregular shapes and generally cool appearance. So yeah. uh, hopefully that's making some effect. We will be putting up some more soundproofing as we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime, we're just plugging away. So fear not. We're going to move to bi-weekly, but we will be augmenting our typical fare with some video absolutely stay tuned until next episode please go check out the youtube channel and see the guard soldering tutorial for the video tech tips and we will be starting the next one on tuesday thank you so much for listening this is matt martin signing off for james tiberius stewart This has been episode 32 of Behind the Blade Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are aggregated. Pretty much anywhere that searches the iTunes directory, you will find us. So you can find us on facebook.com slash Behind the Blade Podcast. You can check out our Facebook group that we are more and more active in all the time. Facebook.com slash group slash BTB Trench Crew. That's you guys, by the way. Check out our YouTube channel, which is coming up, which doesn't have a name just yet because we need you to subscribe to it. So make sure that you go to the YouTube search bar and you type in Behind the Blade Podcast, Tech Tips, Guard Soldering Tutorial. Our video will pop up. The channel that that's hosted, subscribe to that. And then we can give you guys a custom URL because YouTube changed its URL policies recently and now we need a certain number of people to look at it and we're just starting it. We're coming in super late. But we will talk to you guys next week in episode 33. Hang tight. See you later.